Welcome to San Francisco City Insider, the San Francisco Chronicle podcast on the people and politics making headlines in the city by the bay. I'm Chronicle columnist Heather Knight, and I'm here today with Supervisor Hillary Ronan. She's talking about how the country's first homeless shelter in a public school hasn't quite worked out as planned, the shocking death of her husband's boss, Jeff Adachi, and how she believes she'd be board president right now if she was a man. That's all coming up next on San Francisco City Insider. I'm Heather Knight, and we're back with Supervisor Hillary Ronan. Well, thank you so much for coming today. It's great to see you. You too. So um, you fought really hard for a homeless shelter to be added to Buena Vista Horace Mann, a K-8 public school in the mission. And I think it was um, the first shelter at a public school in the country, right? That's right. So now we're seeing that um, there's not very many people using it each night and yeah. the expense may not be worth it. I was just yes. wondering if you can speak to that and what you think should happen going forward. Yes, absolutely. Um, so just to tell the story a little bit, yeah. um, last year when I was actually visiting Buena Vista Horace Mann, checking it out for my daughter who was entering kindergarten at uh-huh. the time, the she was the vice principal at the time, but now she's the principal, pulled me over and said, you know, I know you fought so hard to bring a navigation center to the mission, um, you know, for adults and, and to... Uh, have a place for people sleeping in the encampments to go. Um, We have over 60 kids at the school that are housing insecure and oftentimes don't have a place to sleep at night, and we want to do the same thing here. Mm. And it totally blew me away because I had never thought of anything of the sort, and I thought... Did it sound crazy to you, or did you like the idea right away? Um, what I immediately thought is, oh, God, this is going to be really controversial. <laughs> but you don't mind that. <laughs> I, 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 I fight through controversial, yeah. but I, you know, opening the navigation center for single adults in an old abandoned factory was incredibly controversial. Right. So I knew that trying to do this at a school would be very controversial. But as uh, her name's Claudia uh, Dolores Moran, as she told me the stories, and actually told me that she got the idea because kids were asking her to sleep at the school, that she felt like, why not? We have all the space, and um, the teachers and the social workers are overwhelmed with this crisis, and when kids don't have a place to sleep at night, um, they can't concentrate in mm-hmm. school. Right. And so why not do this? And I said, okay, well, let me see what I can do and help you. And so we reached out to the school district. We reached out to uh, Jeff Kaczynski, the mm-hmm. head of the Homeless and Supportive Housing Department. And we all got together and we started talking about it. And one thing led to another. And sure enough, we we opened it. Yeah, it happened pretty fast, it seemed like. It did for this city, for, 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 this city, <laughs> yeah. for this city. So fast forward to January is when it opened. So it's only been open for about two months. And almost immediately, so at the time, we the overnight program at this school has capacity for about 20 families and up to 60 people. And almost immediately, there there wasn't that demand. Mm-hmm. Um, what, uh, what the principal told us is that in preparation for the shelter opening, it opened later than we had wanted mm-hmm. because we had to um, create the showers um, which we we got pro bono architects and and contractors to do it, but it like everything in San Francisco, it took longer yeah. than we expected, and so we didn't open until January. So between November, when it was supposed to open, in January, the social worker started working very closely with the access point system and 
was able to start getting families, some of the families, into much better housing situations than oh. a shelter at a school. Right. So part of it is so successful. Part of it is, good news. Yeah. Part of it is great news. Um, but part of it is just not – well, it's not not great news. It is great news. It's just unexpected. Mm-hmm. We expected that we were going to have a problem of there being too many people that wanted it and not having enough space mm-hmm. and how to prioritize people. What ended up happening – is there was way less demand mm-hmm. than we anticipated. Um, when uh, Claudia had approached me last year, it was 60 families that were housing insecure. And when the start of this year, it, there was only 23, mm. which could be good news or could be the fact that people gave up and left the city. We, right. we just don't know yet. Yeah. So this is uh, a pilot project. Mm-hmm. It was uh, It's been open for two months, um, and we are evaluating it. Uh, pretty intensely and mm-hmm. closely. What we're thinking of doing right now um, is opening it to other elementary schools, either in the neighborhood or the district, because mm-hmm. Buena Vista Horseman is not the only school in the city with with right. children that are housing insecure. In fact, probably most schools would fit in that category, right? Yes, there's a I mean, the count is over 2,000 either housing insecure or homeless students in SFUSD. So we're going to see if that, if 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 the school community is open to that, Mm -hmm. if we can do that, and then it reaches capacity, and then we'll we'll see if this this idea, this hypothesis, Mm -hmm. works. It slightly changes sort of our hypothesis, Mm -hmm. which is that. The kids who go to the school and their families already feel safe at the school, and so they'll be more likely to use uh, the overnight program there because they feel safe mm-hmm. there. That may not be the case for families mm-hmm. in other schools. So, so it slightly changes the calculus, but it looks like uh, the school district and the homeless department and the faculty and staff at Buena Vista Horseman are very excited about yeah. this possibility. We'll see how the families feel and the school mm-hmm. community feels. I'm not really involved in that mm-hmm. part because it's I've kind of done what what my role was, mm-hmm. which was making the connections, fighting for the resources. And we're going to have to see. Perhaps this, perhaps it'll work and it'll justify the cost. Perhaps it was an experiment that didn't work mm-hmm. and that didn't justify the cost. Um, but what I can say is that if it, the census continues as it is, I'm not going to be supporting it for next year because right. it just doesn't make economic sense. Yeah, got it. And I know that last year you toured uh, mental health facilities throughout San Francisco extensively after meeting a homeless, mentally ill woman named Alice in the mission and seeing how hard it was to get her inside if she um, wasn't perhaps well enough to know she needed help or accept it. Um, and what did you learn about the city's mental health system and what do you think needs to change? Yes. Oh, gosh. I still am, I'm still figuring that out. But... What I learned is that every single place that I went, and I I toured our conservatorship court, I, I toured our behavioral health court, I toured the Door Urgent Care Clinic, the Emergency Psych Ward at General, Health Ray 360, um, I, I, many more places. I can't even remember. It, it was uh, the beginning of last year. It was about a year ago. And... Every place that I went and everyone that I talked to said that the big gaping hole is that we don't have enough residential care beds, both on for people with severe mental illness and people with severe addiction mm-hmm. and the dual diagnosis, mm-hmm. that, that, that there just wasn't enough beds in the system. And without enough beds in the system, 
when you stabilize someone but then return them right back to the streets, then they de destabilize almost immediately. Yeah. And that it was just a revolving door that that was broken. Um, I I also tend to think that you know we we have a broken it, it, we have a broken system in the entire country. It's not right. just San Francisco. We I mean we up until recently didn't have parity for mental health care that we do for physical, you know, our body care mm -hmm. in this country. Um, thanks to Patrick Kennedy, who fought for many, many mm -hmm. years, um, we now have a system that is required to treat brain diseases in the same way that they treat other diseases of the body. Mm -hmm. And so that is a, is a system that's just now really you know, catching up with science and the times and and just the understanding that brain diseases are just as severe and 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 critical that we treat as mm -hmm. as health diseases. So I think we, you know, we need to start considering, uh, you know, just like we created Healthy San Francisco before the Affordable Care Act existed, um, where there was a right to health care and to primary care in this city in a way that there wasn't anywhere mm -hmm. else in this country, that we need to start thinking about um, a right to uh, psychological care. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't mean, but when I say that, I don't mean, you know, I'm having a hard time and I need a therapist because my job's stressful. Yeah. Not that. That's yeah. that, that's a different thing. Than everybody would need. <laughs> than everyone would need need it, and everyone should probably get it. But right. but it, that's not the type of right I'm talking about. I'm talking about people that have uh, a severe mental health disease, mm -hmm. bipolar disorder, um, schizophrenia, severe depression, or people with this, with substance abuse addiction, which often are really together. Right. Um, and so we need, there's no right to care for those people. There's mm -hmm. no um, right to medicine. There's no right to a psychologist. There's no right to an intensive case management. There's no right to a bed in a residential facility. Yeah. And I don't, until we create those things, I'm not sure that we're going to be able to fix the problem that we all see on the streets. But it's not just the problem that we see on the streets. Mm -hmm. It's also, I mean, I've talked to many families um, you know, for example, I talked to a woman whose sister is schizophrenic, whose sort, you know, whose parents had taken care of her, did their best to take care of her um, throughout their life, but they're now elderly themselves and starting to get dementia, dementia, and so it's falling upon her now to decide whether or not she's going to spend her entire life taking care of her sister who's really, really hard to take care of mm -hmm. or let her be homeless on the street or, you know, she's struggling so yeah. much about what to do and is pleading and begging for help from everywhere she can go and and really can't get the help she needs. Mm -hmm. So we just have to re, uh, rethink the entire system, not only to solve the crisis where we all see on the streets every day, but uh, the crisis that sometimes you know, our, our, our housed families are dealing with yeah. and having just as difficult of a time. It's just not obvious to everybody else, right? Um, and Senator Scott Wiener's um, uh, changes to the conservatorship program were approved, but each county has to opt in, and San Francisco hasn't done that yet. So um, are you going to vote to opt in? I don't know. I'm still looking at it. I'm just, for me, it's premature because it, it's so frustrating. The, the, the opt-in legislation that's before us right now 
is literally going to help two to five people in mm-hmm. San Francisco. And what I found with Alice, you talked about mm-hmm. Alice, is that, um, you know, there's an argument she could have been conserved under the new law. However, it's unlikely. And what it took to get her inside was not a judge in a conservatorship. It was someone befriending and and gaining her trust. Mm-hmm. And that was um, Anne from my office, yeah. who is a volunteer. She's retired. Mm-hmm. And she just took it upon herself to build trust with Alice and become her friend. Mm-hmm. And it was a tremendous amount of work and love and dedication. I mean, she was out there every day with her. And, but she was ultimately the one that got her to come inside, and it didn't take the conservatorship. And mm-hmm. if it really is only two to five people we're talking about, then let's just do that. <laughs> let's for two to five people. Let's um, let's find an Anne to become friends with them and to really care about them, and to really find out what's stopping them from getting the treatment and the help that they need. Um, when we're when we're talking about a program that could scale up. That's when I want to have the conversation because mm-hmm. the uh, th- that's where I am right now. You know, I I don't I ultimately feel about the legislation that's before me that whether I vote yes or no, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. It's not going to change anything. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, would you support? Um, I think he's working on tweaking the legislation so it would um, affect more people next year. Would you support that? Uh, Scott Weiner is yeah. yes. Um, yeah, yes, I'm st- I am torn and here's my where I'm torn. I do if, for me a no-brainer is that um, the current conservatorship laws only allow us to conserve someone if they have a severe alcohol dependency. We need to include drugs. That for me is a no-brainer. Mm-hmm. Um, where I'm where I'm I'm torn. I, that's really where I'm at. Yeah. I'm torn is, you know, who's allowed to initiate that conservatorship? Um, Is there really genuinely going to be housing attached? Is there a better way of doing it? It is severe to take over, you know, to take away someone's civil liberties. Mm -hmm. And I want to know that we're doing everything that we can to address the situation prior to that. And I don't know that we really are now. And so I want to understand all that first and make sure we're doing everything. But I do think there is, and and this is where perhaps I part ways from, you know, some of the civil liberty groups. I do think there are people that are going to die on the streets if we don't intervene. Yeah. And, um, and so that's where, and that, and, and that's where I'm torn is, What's the right line to intervene? Um, what do we need to try to do before we get to that point? Um, when do we take someone's civil liberties away to save their lives? Mm-hmm. And 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 I don't have the perfect answer to that. And I'm looking forward to the, the public debate and hearing and getting the specific answers on all of those questions. Um, I just, I want to have the real debate. Uh, the, I'm just frustrated. I For me... And I think San Franciscans are frustrated about this too. It's not just me that we're constantly making such a big deal about these tiny pieces of legislation mm-hmm. that are going to impact two or three people. We have this huge debate, and we have the progressives and the moderates, <laughs> and like all this like drama over these tiny pieces of legislation. They end however they end, and if they pass, people expect 
oh, there's just this dramatic showdown. Now we're going to see a change. And then there's no change. Mm -hmm. And then people lose faith in government. Yeah. And that's what I don't like. I, if we're going to have this big debate and this big dramatic, you know, you know, divide perhaps, then let's do it about something that's really going to impact San Franciscans. Let's not get everyone's attention and hopes up and interest peaked and then do nothing. Yeah. And I, I can't stand legislation that does that. And mm -hmm. I feel like the uh, legislation before me right now is mm -hmm. that type of legislation. Mm -hmm. And it's, it, it, it really bothers me, you know, yeah, we do that a lot yeah. in San Francisco, and it's not my style. <laughs> no. um, your district, District 9, is still one of only three districts in San Francisco with a navigation center. And between District 6, 9, and 10, the vast majority of homeless services are there. Do you think other supervisors are not doing their part? And do you want to call any of them out <laughs> right here, right now? Um, I, 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 it's hard, right? Here's why it's hard for me. I'm not going to call anyone out because... If I, I had to fight to get a navigation center in my district. Mm -hmm. um, it wasn't, that's what, that's what bothers me is we're having the wrong conversation. It's, I feel like everyone needs to step up. <laughs> and by that, I mean, find the site, hustle the money, make it happen. That's what I did in my district. Yeah. I didn't just wait for the mayor's office to locate a case, locate a site and descend upon it and then take a stand one way or another. I did all the work to make it happen. Mm -hmm. And that's a different level of commitment that I'm going to be quite frank with you. I haven't seen any supervisor <laughs> but myself do. Yeah. Right? I, I've seen um, the mayor's office pick a couple sites and sort of ask the supervisor nicely if it was okay mm -hmm. to come to their district. But um, I... I believe that I'm the only one that hustled to do it myself. And part of it is because I had the crisis in my district. Mm -hmm. I had no choice. Um, but but that's a different level of of stepping up, right? Yeah. Uh, the least people could do is if the mayor finds a site in their district to say, I will support you <laughs> in making that site happen. But that's really the least that they can do. Uh -huh. um, you know, I, I would ask I would ask people to go a step further and uh, to make it happen. Yeah. And Supervisor Matt Haney was on this very podcast a few weeks yes. ago, and he um, said something I was surprised by. He thinks there's a conspiracy in San Francisco to restrict homeless services to certain parts of town. Of course, mm -hmm. he mostly thinks it's his district, but of maybe course, yours yeah. would fall into that bucket, too. Um, do you agree that there's some sort of conspiracy that are a containment zone? I, I would agree with the spirit of <laughs> what he was saying, absolutely. Um, I don't believe that they're like a back room where, you know, the mayor and the police <laughs> are sitting down and saying, let's keep all poor people in District 6, 9, and 10. Yeah. I, I don't think it's it's that type of conspiracy, but I think by default um, that thing, that certain types of behavior and activities are accepted mm -hmm. in District 6, 9, and 10 that would not be accepted in other districts. I think that um, the city just by default expects District 6, 9, and 10 to um, solve the problems that, you know, the mm -hmm. district didn't create. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I, so, yes, I agree with Matt, absolutely. And, um, you know, I supported Matt Haney and Shimon Walton strongly, you know, during their campaign for supervisor precisely because they have the same frustrations and the same urgency for mm -hmm. action that I do. Mm -hmm. 
And I could not be happier that they're both there uh, on the board with me because I feel like I finally have partners Mm -hmm. to fight with who are not going to let the status quo you know, continue. They're going to shake things up. They're going to shake things up. And and I absolutely am aligned with Matt yeah. and with Shaman that enough is enough. We have taken <laughs> the brunt of the crises in the city for too long. Mm-hmm. And we have to, to, to share across geography the solutions to these crises. And we haven't been doing that in this city. Right. Uh, switching gears to the sad news that happened last week of Jeff Adachi's surprising death, um, your husband Francisco Ugarte works in his office, and um, I think is pretty cl- had been pretty close with Jeff. Um, how did you guys learn about his death on Friday, and how did it affect you? Um, we we got a te- I got a text from former supervisor David Campos to urgently call him at night, and I called him, and he said, "Hillary, I'm so sorry. I don't know if it's true." But I heard uh, that Jeff had a heart attack and died. And I ran to Cisco and I, I, I told him and he just froze. And I called Chief uh, Joanne Hayes-White to ask her if it was true. And she confirmed that it was. And, um, you know, Cisco crumbled. Mm. Um Francisco and Jeff were very, very close. Uh, not only were they close, but um, I think Jeff was uh, Cisco's um, mentor and sort of example of the kind of lawyer that he is and wants to be. Mm-hmm. Um, he, you know, Francisco runs the immigration unit in the public defender's office, and he, uh, prior to that, was a, a immigration attorney at Dolores Street Community Services. Mm-hmm. And when he was hired to start the unit at the public defender's office, um, it was sort of a, a massive change in his life. He felt like the the level at which the office operates, the expectations of going out and doing everything in your power for your client, mm-hmm. the expectations of excellence, the expectations of pushing boundaries um, and of of creativity and excellence uh, were something that, you know, he really hadn't experienced at that level before. And it's changed who he is as mm-hmm. a person. And um, he's devastated. I'm devastated. I, I, I knew that Francisco immediately would be devastated. But I didn't realize the impact it was going to have on me Mm -hmm. Um, because I I loved Jeff and I admired him, but I wasn't as close to him as Francisco is or was. Um, And I have just been walking around like I've been punched in the gut. Mm. And I've been trying to understand why I'm I'm taking this as hard as I am because it's, of course, always – devastating when a leader dies and I was really upset when our former mayor Ed Lee died mm-hmm. but I I didn't take it quite so personally and I think the reason that I am is because you know the person that I am and have always been is someone who sees myself as wanting to spend my life and my energy fighting so that our society is a little more just and Mm -hmm. a little more equal Mm -hmm. and that people who have been forgotten and who haven't had the chances in life that I've had, um, that they, that they get, get a a fair shake. Mm -hmm. And, and there's not that many of us that truly are in it for that reason, Mm -hmm. right? Politics is a, 
is a rough and disgusting business. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to be really frank. And um, there's a lot of ego involved. There's a lot of ambition. There's a lot of people that are in it, you know, because they want to do something, but really they're in it to advance and and be a leader and mm-hmm. get the adulation and the attention that comes along with it. And um, that that's not me. And even though Jeff was a larger-than-life person, um, he was in it for the right reasons. Mm-hmm. And uh, when you lose one of those rare people that share your values, mm-hmm. um, it, it's in this dirty, hard business where there's not that many of us. So mm-hmm. I'm going to be really clear mm-hmm. and really honest about that. There's just not that many of us. It hurts. Yeah. And uh, we lost a great. We lost a great. Right. Your husband's name has come up as a potential person for Mayor Breed to consider putting in. Oh, Jeff really? Adas- this is the place. first I hear of it. <laughs> uh, has he expressed interest to you in that? Oh, no. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, literally, I have not heard that. I can't imagine that happening. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Who do you think the mayor should appoint? Matt Gonzalez. Okay. Matt no Gonzalez. No question. No yeah. question in my mind. Mm-hmm. Matt, um, Matt and Jeff ran that office together and they're so different, right? They're, they're like yin and yang, but their yin and yang worked perfectly mm-hmm. to create the best public defender's office in this country. And Matt had the um, complete confidence of Jeff and vice versa. Um, that office believes in Matt. My husband believes in Matt. Um, I believe if my husband was offered the job, he would say, absolutely not. Matt Gonzalez needs to lead this mm-hmm. office, and that's who I support. Mm-hmm. You know? um, I really, really hope the mayor appoints him because he's the right person for the job. Okay. What do you think of all the speculation behind you know, the details of Jeff's death? Is that important to figure out for this city, or do you think we just need to move past it? There's a lot of back and forth about the police involvement and the medical examiner's involvement and... I think it's disgusting what's happened. I think what is what is the relevance of this, right? If there was foul play, perhaps it's a newsworthy story, but they're saying there's no foul play mm-hmm. and there's files being leaked that wouldn't normally be leaked. And to me, this feels like people in the police department who don't like Jeff because he went hard for his clients and would take on the police department and the POA mm-hmm. um, when he thought it was the right thing to do, are trying to damage his good name and hurt his family. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what, what the truth is. I don't know what's happening, but I don't care. Mm-hmm. What I know is that if there was no fall play and if Jeff died of natural causes, I don't want to know mm-hmm any, you know, other circumstances. I don't need to know those circumstances. And I find it, I find it disgusting what they're trying to do to Mm -hmm. his good name and how it's just wrong. Okay. Um, You were open in January about your desire to become board president, but Mm -hmm. lost out to Norman Yee. Mm -hmm. And you said at the time you'd heard some sexist remarks from some of your colleagues. Um, Since that dust up, how are things going with your fellow supervisors? Mm -hmm. And how do you think Norman is doing as board president? Yeah. Um, Yes, I... I'll be, I've been blunt and I will continue to be blunt. I feel like if I were a man, I would be board president right now. Um, I, you know, uh, I, I, um, I've been in that building for eight years. I know how to get things done. I'm bold. I am, you know, 
as progressive as progressive gets. And supposedly we have a progressive majority. And if I were a man, I would be leading the Board of Supervisors right now. But instead, I was told by my colleagues that, um, you know, I'm hard to get along with, that I don't know how to compromise, that um, I'm difficult, you know, all of these sexist tropes that, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, to me are absolutely BS. (laughs) And um, and I'm I stand by that point. However, you know, I uh, I didn't. I didn't get the board presidency. I'm mm-hmm. not going to harp on that. I'm going to continue to do my work. Uh, I, if I had to lose to anyone, excuse me, um, losing to Norman Yee was a um, was a good loss. He mm-hmm. is a good man. Mm-hmm. Um, he's someone that I respect deeply, mm-hmm. um, and you know, will have and has a complete different style than I do. I would lead completely differently than he's leading, but um, I I respect his leadership and uh, and think he's a fair, good, good person. Mm-hmm. It seems like some of these same themes are playing out um, as the presidential uh, election is heating up with several women running for the Democratic nomination. Um, do you agree? And uh, who is your pick so far? Yes, I completely agree. And I'm having the same with the conservatorship. I'm having a an internal wrestle about this one. Um, my picks so far are uh, Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders. They, um, to both of them, most reflect my politics and my values and my style mm-hmm. of shaking up the status quo and, and fighting for more equality and against um, sort of corporate control of our democracy and our country. Um, and the reason I'm having this internal debate is because... Um, you know, I a, after Elizabeth Warren, I would support Bernie uh-huh. as my number one choice, even though there are so many women uh-huh. in this race. And um, that's hard for me because I really um, – it is so over time for a woman president. Mm-hmm. And so my values over wanting a woman president are 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 – coming head to head with my values of wanting the strongest person who will fight against corruption, corporate mm-hmm. control, and for, um, you know, people of color and poor people in this country. And I think Elizabeth, is, you know, has both of those mm-hmm. together. Um, but if, if you know, it looks like she wasn't going to win, which unfortunately it's going to look like, and I think there's so much sexism involved in yeah. that, without a doubt. Um that Bernie would be my my second choice there, and um, and that's and that's hard, but yeah. but that's where I am. Okay, well, you've survived the serious questions, and yeah. now we're oh, going to no. go into the this lightning is what I'm round. Scared about. <laughs> this is, I'm so scared about the lightning round. <laughs> I will start with the disclaimer, and then I do not have the quick wit of Heather Knight. So bear with me, San Francisco. Bear with me. Quote of the podcast. <laughs> This is the first question I ask everybody, and okay. it has tripped up a number of your colleagues. Oh, I should have listened to the old ones. <laughs> What's your favorite place in San Francisco to get a burrito? Oh, that's easy, La Corneta. Oh, yeah, me too. Glen yeah, Park. I used to I used to live near the yeah. Glen Park Bart Station, so yeah. that was my haunt. <laughs> um, what is your favorite movie filmed in San Francisco? Oh, my favorite movie. Oh, gosh. Give me a second. Give me a second. Oh, I'm only thinking of these horrible movies. <laughs> um, my favorite movie filmed in San Francisco is, oh, my God. 
I don't know. <laughs> we can come back to it if you want. Okay, because I'm only thinking of like Mrs. Doubtfire and the like the movie with the um, the king, like the Planet of the Apes or oh, yeah. the which what, what was it called? Um, Planet of the Apes, right? Oh, I'll choose. Um, you know the sci-fi one. The the. Uh, what is it called? <laughs> the Sci-fi. one with all with the, the the people that had all the magical powers, um, including. Um, see, this is my horrible memory. <laughs> um, you know what I'm talking about. Um, no. There was a guy in the wheelchair who could like control things with his mind, oh. and there was Wolverine. It's the Wolverine series. Okay, that was set in San Francisco. It was. Hmm. Okay, we'll have to do some research. Okay. Where is your favorite place to get a stiff drink? Oh, I would say El Rio. Okay. And you're raising a little girl in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. What is the best thing about raising kids in the city with the least kids in America? (laughs) And what is the worst thing about it? So the best thing about it is... um, the values. So she goes to public school. I never reveal which school because it scares me yeah. <laughs> for safety reasons. But um, you know, the the public school just shares my values. Mm-hmm. You know, the um, you know of where to emphasize support and how to uh, celebrate holidays and how to teach. Um, you know, about LGBTQ history. And it, it it's just, it, I think, you know, who cares about the test scores and all that? Yeah. I think we have one of the best public school systems in, in the nation because it's just so outside of the, you know, the status quo of what mm-hmm. a public school looks like. So that's one of my favorite things. Mm-hmm. Believe it or not, that's one of my favorite things. I would I would scrap the assignment system, though. That yeah. I do not I like. I think that um, tarnishes the reputation of the whole system. But I think once so you're too. in and assigned to a school, I think most people are really happy. Exactly. I could not agree more. I think we need to change that system. Um, the worst thing about raising um, a child in San Francisco, I would say, is how darn expensive it mm-hmm. is. Um, there have been times where, you know, Francisco and I have thought, can we really have a safe life here? Mm-hmm. Because we spent all our money on housing. Yeah. <laughs> like, we don't, we're not saving much for retirement. Yeah. And so um, that's the worst. Yeah. Um, and we talked earlier about your fight over the board presidency. Yeah. And you wore a pretty awesome T-shirt to yeah. <laughs> the chambers that day that read, Difficult. Um, is that your favorite item of clothing now? Does it spark joy? <laughs> yes, yes, without a doubt. I wish I could wear it every day. <laughs> it feel it makes me feel very powerful. <laughs> and if you, I think you should make a T-shirt line with adjectives for all of your colleagues. Oh, and give. Can them you think of any good presents. ones? Um, sure, <laughs> I would say. Who would, what would Aaron Peskin get? Uh, cunning. <laughs> How about the mayor? Um, Tood. <laughs> How about Norman Yee? Oh, kind. Aww. He's just so kind. <laughs> he, you know, I would say he would get two. He'd get kind, but don't underestimate me. Mm-hmm. That's a good one. <laughs> okay. What is the last book you read? I'm re- well. I mean, I'm almost done with it right now. It is actually um, Patrick Kennedy's okay. uh, autobiography about his life um, growing up as a Kennedy, but also about the struggle for mental health parity. Mm. It's really good. I highly oh. recommend it. 
I'm still reading the one that you loaned me about drugs. Oh, isn't it so good? Yeah, so good. Mm. Uh, What was your first concert? Oh, it's so embarrassing. Um, The picture is what's embarrassing. I should dig it up and give it to you and forever be uh, embarrassed. Uh, John Bon Jovi. I went with with my dad, (laughs) my best friend, and I had... Uh, dislocated my knee so I had this like huge cast and I was wearing like um, a horrible acid watch jean skirt and like this horrible hat and like chain belts wow I see it did and you have I the big hairspray hair? yes yeah. the big poofy <laughs> oh it was so awful <laughs> I want to see the picture <laughs> and last question what is something you always make sure to squeeze into your busy day Gosh, um, I spend a lot of time in the beginning of my day with my daughter, and we just cuddle in bed, and we laugh, and we talk, um, and then we're running late for school every (laughs) single day. And then at night, um, you know, we read a lot of books. My daughter is is the is the thing that I prioritize above everything else, and it means I never exercise, <laughs> and that I rarely see friends, <laughs> and that poor Cisco gets the second shift. <laughs> yeah. um, but she she usually gets the attention yeah. she deserves. Great. Well, I appreciate you making time for us today. Thank you <laughs> so much. Thanks for coming. Thanks. Thank you to Supervisor Hillary Ronan for being on this podcast, King Kaufman for producing this episode, and you for listening. San Francisco City Insider is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Audrey Cooper is the editor-in-chief, and Dominic Fercasa is this podcast's producer. If you like this show, please subscribe and give us a quick review wherever you get your podcasts. Support San Francisco City Insider and a lot of great journalism with a print or digital subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle. Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe. Can you tell me other movies? A lot of people said Mrs. Doubtfire, so you weren't off track with that. Some people said Vertigo, The Rock, and Milk. Milk. Uh, and <gasps> <laughs> Damn it! Damn it! <laughs> that would have been the perfect answer. Okay, X-Men. Oh, X-Men. gosh. Well, X-Men. we can end. Let's add the Easter egg. <laughs>